look at verses uh, 5. I'm going to read verses 5 down to uh, verse 13. Chapter 8, verses 5 down to 13. The Word of God says, And when Jesus was entered into Capernaum, there came unto him a centurion beseeching him, and saying, Lord, my servant lieth at home sick of the palsy, grievously tormented. Jesus saith unto him, I will come and heal him. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy that thou shouldest come under my roof, but speak the word only, and my servant shall be healed. For I am a man under authority, having soldiers under me, and I say to this man, Go, and he goeth, and to another, Come, and he cometh. And to my servant, Do this, and he doeth it. When Jesus heard it, he marveled and said unto them that followed, Verily I say unto you, I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. And I say unto you that many shall come from the east and the west and shall sit down with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the children of the kingdom shall be cast out into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And Jesus saith unto the centurion, Go thy way, and as thou hast believed, so be it done unto thee. And his servant was healed in the selfsame hour. Father, Lord, we come to you this morning and we ask him for help today. Lord, we need your presence with us. Lord, we ask that you give us utterance. We pray, Lord, that you would bring to mind the uh, recollections uh, of things of the Spirit. Lord, we pray that you would uh, give us understanding, that you would open up Christ to us today uh, in these passages. Lord, we thank you for these brethren that you have brought today and gathered in this place. And we ask, Lord, that through our gathering and through the worship, Lord, that you are exalted, that you are well pleased. Lord, we ask that you would just uh, be our instructor today. We're thankful for this message that you uh, have given us in this portion of Scripture as we look in and see the wonderful works of our Lord Jesus Christ. But Lord, we also thank you for the things that you show about ourselves in these things, giving us understanding of not only who we are, but who Christ Jesus is. And Father, we just pray that even now, that as we look at these things, we might not center upon the things of man, upon the things of this world, that we might not hone into this as oftentimes I've heard this passage preached to exalt men but that we might exalt Jesus Christ in what is seen here. So, Lord, once again, we ask that you would just be with us. And it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Well, brethren, as I just mentioned there in my prayer, um, I've heard this passage preached a lot of times, uh, the faith of the centurion. You know, uh, even uh, even uh, some of the titles, you know, your Bible may even have titles over the passages and stuff. It, a lot of times you'll say the faith of the centurion uh, in my uh, one of my online Bibles that I uh, was looking at this morning um, it had the faith of the centurion over there, you know. And as I mentioned, a lot of times whenever this passage is preached, it's, pa- it's preached 
And the whole focus of this passage is what great faith this centurion had that was so great that even the Lord Jesus was astonished by it. Okay? Now, even in... As I was looking, I've seen that even in some of the other translations, the word astonished was even in there. Okay? Uh, Now, hopefully we'll get to that if the Lord wills when we get there. But... uh, Brethren, this passage here, and as all passages that we have in God's Word, is for the exaltation of Christ. It's never for the exaltation of man. And so often the preaching that we hear in modern day Christianity, quote unquote, uh, modern churches, is filled with the exaltation of man. The scriptures are there to be a self-help book about how great you are and about how wonderful you are and about what you can do and about what you should be doing and all the things that's there. You, you know, you listen to these, uh, uh, these, you know, uh, dinglings is the only word that's coming to mind right now, like Joel Olstein that wants to take this and say, you know, hold up your Bibles and I'm going to claim what this thing tells me I am, blah, 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 blah. All this is, well, what this thing tells you right here is that you're full of filthy rags in all that you do. This thing here tells you that you're a sinner. This thing tells you that your heart is deceitfully wicked above all things, that there is nothing that you can do spiritually to please God, or uh, physically to please God. There's nothing that you can do that you're totally abased. That's what the Bible says that you are. So if Joel Osteen actually believed the scripture, he wouldn't be spouting off all that junk that he's talking about. But unfortunately, we see that in most churches today, or what are called churches today, we see the preaching and the exaltation of man. But brethren, this passage of scripture isn't here to exalt this centurion in no wise. Matter of fact, if we would actually take the very... Uh, example of this centurion, it is not the exaltation of himself, but the very fact that he humbled himself before the Lord Jesus Christ. It isn't here to fuel your fire of faith. (laughs) Okay? I'm not here to preach to fuel your fire of faith. Because we know the Scripture is very, very clear that the measure of faith of any one of God's elect children is measured out by Christ. If Larry is full of faith today, it's because God has given him that measure of faith. If Michael is lacking faith today, it's because the Lord has been pleased, has been purposing that point of time that Michael not be full of faith at this point. That he might experience. Why did he give... Peter to be sifted by Satan and did not solidify his faithfulness during that time of sifting so that Peter might learn from that. And we see that Peter did learn from that, didn't he? The Lord taught him some things and strength. This is what's amazing, brethren, and and I might be wrong on this, but this is what was amazing to me about that situation. I don't mean to get too far off track. In the fact of God bringing Peter to a point of faithlessness, it helped him increase in faith. (laughs) Ain't that amazing? How the Lord brought the very sinfulness of Peter to the place where it strengthened Peter's faith. And if you think about it, all the times in our life that we have been strengthened in the faith, that we have been 
that we have learned something, that we have grown from situations in our life, the most times that we have grown from has been times of what? Our failures. Our sinfulness. Our going into a situation faithless. But in that faithlessness, God has taught us faithfulness. We see, because when we go into a situation faithless, we realize just really how fragile we are. How dependent upon Christ we are for faith. Matter of fact, the Bible says, all men have not faith. You say, well, Pastor, I think you're twisting those words, because we know everybody has faith. You have to have faith to be saved, remember? Well, here's the thing, brethren. Men do have faith, and that's not a contradiction to all men have not faith. The only thing is, is the faith that they have is not their faith. It isn't something that they muster up. It isn't something that they can just produce. It isn't something that they've just taken and placed onto another object. The faith that they have is the faith that is enabled in them, that is given to them, measured to them, that time. I am completely and totally dependent upon Christ. Even as now standing here to preach, I am dependent upon Christ to give me every word that I might say. And if I speak and say anything that is contrary to God's word, that was because Mike was thinking and speaking in the natural. And God didn't give me the words to say in the spirit. And you say, well, that's mysticism, that's mysticism. No, it's not. It's trusting in the Lord. It's being given faith, it is being given trust that God will give you what you need. That whenever we speak that He will give us the words to speak. Whenever we come up against a trial that He will give us the faith to stand. That He will give us the courage to speak or whatever it might be. That in every given moment that God supplies all of our needs, not our wants, all of our needs. All that we need for His purpose, He's going to give it to us, right? And in some situations, He doesn't give us that. For His purpose, He doesn't give us that. So, with that kind of being in our mind and understanding, and I I believe, if I'm not in error, I believe that that's kind of the tenor throughout Scripture. We see that men are uh, in subject to God for everything that they need for spiritual things. Without Christ working and enabling and the Spirit giving us the ability, giving us whatever, working in us faith, working in us hope, working in us love, working in us joy, all these things that are spiritual works, if the Spirit isn't working that, there is nothing my flesh can do to work it up and and to, to do it. Okay, So that means that at every point in time, every minute of my life, every situation I ever encounter, everything that ever is going to happen in the future, I am beholding to God to do for me. The scriptures say that I, will, I and I'm going to misquote this, but I will praise God who performeth all things for me. If it's anything to do with the spiritual kingdom of God, He performs all things for me. So we're beholding that. So with that doctrinal understanding of how faith works, faith isn't something that is 
inherent in natural man that we just work up or that we can build up if we just keep exercising spiritual things. It's given by God in His time, in His purposes. He's given it to us. He works it in us. We don't work it out. Okay? Whenever the Bible says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, it gives us how that happens. For it is God who works in you. My working out isn't me saying, okay, I'm going to think on this. Okay, I'm determined. I'm going to do this, and this is how it's going to happen. This is what's going to happen. No, it's God that works in you, both the will and to do. My desire to do. My will. My will is, how does my will function? My will functions by what I know. But how how is what I know? I don't know anything unless God reveals it to me. So see how everything in God in the chain of events of how things work is all dependent upon God. I don't know anything spiritual unless God reveals it to me. Therefore, knowledge cannot affect my life and my will and anything that's in me without God revealing it to me. And once God reveals truth to me, reveals anything to me, then I cannot even move upon that knowledge unless the Holy Spirit first causes me to will. For it is God who works in you both to will. Well, I can't will if I don't have knowledge, and I can't have knowledge unless God reveals it to me. So at that juncture, my willing is dependent upon God. Notice. Brother Larry has his book over here, The Lies of Free Will. I don't know if he still has it in the current editions, but I wrote a forward to that thing. And in that thing, we have, there's a verse that I talked about in there, that His people will be made willing in the day of His power. It's not in the day of my power. Not in the day of your power or your choosing. We are made willing in the day of His power. So God moves and works in us to give us knowledge, and upon that knowledge, we can't even will to do anything unless God motivates and activates the will to do. And then once the will is moved upon by God, then we do whatever it is that God wants us to do. Some people say, well, are you talking about that we're robots? We're puppets? Well, actually, the biblical terminology is we're clay pots, we're vessels. We're vessels. God has made us what He wants us made us. We're tools in the hands of God. He has designed us to do His good pleasure. So, again, with all that said, so faith isn't something that we work up. Faith is something that is worked in us. This centurion came to Jesus Christ, and obviously we see he definitely was exhibiting, displaying faith. So the first thing we realize is that this faith didn't come from Him. This faith came from Christ. Because if it was faith, and we truly know it's faith, and we truly know that it's genuine faith, because Christ said something about it, right? So this faith of this centurion was given to him by God. Now that says a lot right there. There's a lot of things that we can discuss about that. The fact that this centurion... Now, keep in mind, remember... The centurion is not a Jew. This man was 
was uh, was not a Jew. Matter of fact, it says here, there came to him a centurion. Uh, this is whenever he went to Capernaum. He said, there came to him a centurion. What is a centurion? A centurion is a Roman soldier. So this man was a Gentile. This man wasn't a Jew. He wasn't from Israel. He was a, he was a Gentile. <coughs> and so here's this Gentile who came and came to the Lord and the Lord saw faith there. So God gave this Gentile faith. Now there's a lot of things here that are coming to my mind and I'm hoping that I don't become too confusing in my in my in my in my talk here. But look if you would with me. He says there came to a centurion, or came unto him a centurion, beseeching him or seeking after him, calling upon him, saying, "Lord, my servant lie at home sick of a palsy, grievously tormented." First, he calls him his lord. This centurion, this Gentile. Now, remember, he just healed the leper, right? Jesus had just healed the leper right right before this happened. And so Jesus here had actually did a miracle of of, of, of of healing somebody, laying his hands on and healing this person. And of course we know the Pharisees, every time Jesus did these miracles, it just riled them up. And whenever they seen Jesus doing these miracles, instead of worshiping Christ as they should, acknowledging only God can do this, and here this man is doing these miracles... And only God could do this instead of worshiping Him and giving Him the exaltation that's due Him. What were they doing? They were being jealous of Him. They were being angered at Him. They wanted to kill Him. Why? Because that He was stirring the pot. He was taking away their power. He was taking the people who they had control of through their doctrine, not the doctrine of God's Word, through their doctrine, was taking their people away from them, taking their power away from them, taking their glory away from them. And brethren, listen, it's just like that in modern day churches today. You see in a lot of churches, the preacher is there to get all the glory, is there to get all the prestige, they got his name out in big letters out there on the sign. They got any kind of degrees that he's got behind his name. He's probably got his own nice little parking spot to park in. Whenever he comes in, he's got his nice big office with his library and everything. And I'm not saying some of the, the, you know, having a place to study and all that stuff. I'm not saying it's necessarily wrong. But what do we do? We put them up on a pedestal. And they get this God complex where, you know, and I've had a lot of people, myself, that has called us and talked to us about church and about things that men are not able to converse with their pastors because their pastors, whenever you question them, they get mad and they won't even talk to you or they tell you not to come back. These men begin to get this complex. I heard just recently... Uh, a, uh, my uncle, whenever he was, I can't remember if it was in, uh, I think it was the church that he's pastor now. I think this was who it was. I'm not, I won't say the name, but anyway, he was telling me that they were saying 
that one of the guys that came that they were looking about coming to be their pastor and was having them come preach, this guy told them, number one, if they come, they have to be paid so much, which to me is, as soon as that, I hear that, I'm like, next, you know. If a guy cannot come and preach God's word uh, without any money, then he's in the wrong business. It's not a business, but he's, he's in the wrong in the wrong profession here, fellas. God calls men to preach, and then he doesn't call them to be a CEO of a church and, and to be the paid speaker. But this man, he, he said, I need to have money to come. But he said, we're also going to have to redo all these lights in here because whenever it's time for me to preach, I want all the lights in the whole entire building dimmed and just lights to come right down here. And if you can't do that, then I can't come preach for you. Can you believe that? i got to be in the spotlight. Now, he would probably say, no, we're putting God's Word in the spotlight. It's all theatrics is what it is. But anyway, we see that men are being elevated in such a way, and these Pharisees had elevated themselves in such a way that people were just... loving them and following after them and listening to every little thing and seeking them in every little thing. And Jesus here was upturning everything that they had established. Now, listen. What was going on at this time with these religious leaders is not what God established in the Old Testament. See, by this time, the Jewish religion is corrupted. It's not the Old Testament sacrificial priesthood that Jesus and, well, that Jesus set up, that, that God set up in the Old Testament. This is a Babylonian uh, uh, adulteration that was going on during this time. That's why Jesus said, you've heard it say, but I say unto you. See, all these men were telling them exactly what they and their traditions had said. Matter of fact, this very thing here, remember, this Gentile, Jesus said, look at verse 7, Jesus said unto him, I will come and heal him. More than likely, those Jews that were around there probably got riled up that Jesus was saying, hey, I'm going to go to this guy's house. This is a Gentile. According to their tradition, Jew couldn't even go to a Gentile's house. They wouldn't have nothing to do with Gentiles. And here Jesus said, I'm going to go to your house. That probably was very off-putting to them. But here's something that I thought about when I was looking at this. This centurion also knew, as a Gentile, these folks don't have anything to do with me. These folks don't have anything to do with anything. But he knew Jesus was his Lord. And he knew that Jesus would probably come to my house if I asked him to come. He would come. But he knew the stigma that it would cause among his own people. And what does he say there in verse 8? The centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy that thou shouldest come under my roof, but speak the word, and my servant shall be healed. Now there's a couple things that I can see that I, I, I see in that. And that is, number one, this man had a concern that let's not put any more undue confusion in what's going on here among even your own people. But also this man, and again, talking about the faith that was exhibited here, this man realized that Jesus didn't need to come. 
The very fact that this man knew Jesus didn't have to come to my house. Now the guy before him, that guy, Jesus touched and healed. And this guy here is saying, hey, I don't need you to even come on the premises. You just speak the word and it can be done. But see, this guy is saving an issue here. What's his main concern? Well, his main concern was that his friend be healed. Who was the only one that he knew could heal him? The Lord. He went to the Lord, he sought the Lord, and he trusted that the Lord could do the very thing that he was seeking after him to do. And he didn't need to have him come all the way to wherever the guy was to be able to do it. And there didn't need to be any uprising because Jesus was going to some Gentile's house that this man said, let's look at it this way, let's do, do this. And that's what was done. So part of the faith that was exhibited was the very fact that while I know you can come and while I know it's not socially acceptable for you to come, you would do it. There's no need for you to come. You have the power to just speak and it will be done. Now brethren, that in and of itself is amazing faith. But it's not that man's faith. It's the faith that God had given him. And he says here, he said, For I am a man under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to this man, Go, and he goeth, and to another, and he goeth, and to another, Come, and he cometh, and to my servant, Do this, and he doeth it. What's that man meaning by all that? Well, he recognizes that Jesus is the servant of God, was sent by God. Look, God's, Christ's own people were not even seeing that. Now, I think, and this is my opinion, okay, and judge it by Scripture. This is my opinion. And I and the reason I have this opinion, and I do have Scripture reference to back it, uh, but the Scripture is not completely clear, so, like I said, measure with Scripture. In John chapter 3, whenever Nicodemus came to Jesus, Nicodemus came... Uh, as a leader of the Jews. He came as a representative of that faction. And whenever he came to Jesus, he said, we know that nobody can do these things except he were sent by God. So my thoughts and my opinion that I'm talking about here is, is that these Jews, they knew this was Jesus, but they were rejecting completely. They knew that this man fit every category of Messiah. This man was fulfilling the prophecies of the Old Testament that was given for Messiah. They were seeing it. They were recognizing it. That's why they went to John the Baptist and say, are you this man? They were seeing the things being fulfilled that the Scripture was saying, this is what's going to happen when Messiah comes. This is what's going to happen when Messiah works, what Messiah does. This is how Messiah is going to act and going to operate. And they seen that, but yet they rejected Him. And they rejected Him because they knew if we keep letting this go, this man is going to turn the whole world after Him. If we let this go, this man is going to upturn everything that we've established that's why they sought to kill him. This centurion knew that. This centurion understood that. 
this centurion came to Jesus and said, I understand that you are one who is under authority as I am under authority and that you have people under you who serve you, but not just people. This guy here is using his illustration of himself with people, but what's he talking about? He's talking about the healing of this man, right? He's talking about the healing of this man. So this man here says, not only do I know that you have people that will serve you and do what you say, but all of creation does what you say. If you just speak, the disease will leave this man. If you just speak, this will happen. Why? Because this man, not only did he recognize him as Lord, he recognized him as Creator. As the king over everything. He recognized him as the sovereign that nothing that this man says is not going to happen. Right? If he says it, it's going to happen. Why? Because everything, everything in the created order is under his command. Kind of makes you think about the things. He has put all things under his feet. He has made him the head of all things. That all things were made by Him and what? For Him. Not just people, but everything. That squirrel running up that tree out there trying to get over into the bird seeds, that squirrel is made by God for Him. And whatever He's doing out there, He's doing for God. And people say, well, you're getting a little... I don't know about that. That's what the Bible says. All things were created by Him and for Him. For his purposes. Just for me to be able to see the squirrel out there. Who knows what he, why he's doing it. But he's done it. This man recognized that authority. Christ had authority. Christ's own people didn't see this authority. And that, that makes me think even among professing Christians today, there are many who don't see Christ's ultimate authority over all things. Now, if they continue in this belief that salvation comes by something that they do, I don't think it was they ever were given faith, that they ever were true believers, that they were false believers, that they were reprobate. But brethren, listen, there are many today who don't like to hear that Christ is controlling all things, that all of our wills are subject to His will. That all of our thoughts, all of our actions are subject to His control. They don't like that because they think that makes God to be the author of sin. Well, if you say that every action that we do is controlled by God, then that means whenever we sin, that was controlled by God, and then that God's the author of sin. Brethren, if God is in control of everything, and that includes your sin. This man knew that everything was under His control. I'm a man under authority. You are a man under authority. I have people and things underneath me that do what I say. Anything that you say, it's going to be done. Why? Because you have the authority. Just speak the word and it shall be done. And he says, when Jesus heard it, he marveled and said unto them that follow, verily, verily, or verily I say unto you, I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. Can you imagine how that stirred those religious leaders? This Gentile coming 
and saying the things that he just said to Jesus, and then Jesus turning around and saying, I have not seen this great a faith in all of Israel. I mean, I bet you the daggers were coming from the eyes. Well, if down in verse 12 it said, But the children of the kingdom shall be cast out into outer darkness, and there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. I believe there was probably some gnashing of teeth at that point when that man said that, and Jesus said, I've not seen this great faith in all of Israel. They were saying, how in the world could this Gentile have such great faith that this man is saying is greater than all of Israel? This, most of them would, don't even believe that any Gentile was ever going to have any faith, much less greater than anything of theirs. You remember Jesus said, unless your faith exceeds that of the Pharisee, why is that? Because the Pharisee has a natural faith, but he didn't have God-given faith. See, unless you have the faith that God gives you, you'll never believe. You'll never come. That's kind of the whole point of these things. This man showed that he had been given faith by God. Therefore, being given faith by God, where did he go to? He went to the only place where the authority is found. He knew that there was no other answer except in the authority that was given. He had the authority. God has given authority in Christ. I have given you authority over all flesh to give eternal life to as many as I have given you. Jesus said, uh, All power has been given unto me in heaven and in earth. He has all authority. And this man... He recognized that authority. He recognized that power. And all of the religious leaders out there don't. Brethren, it's just like that today. The elect of God understand, have been given, revealed, and understand the sovereignty of our God over all things, including sin, including evil. He, we understand that. We understand God's sovereignty in salvation, that God controls the salvation of every soul that is to be saved. That God is the one who chooses who will be His and who will not be His. We understand that. And we do not, uh, we do not have any qualms about talking about it. I know a lot of preachers who say secretly they believe in election and predestination, but they don't preach it because they know, you know, people just don't really accept that and you drive people away. That's that's the more meatier subjects that once they get in and they're here, then you can begin to Brethren, this is the this is the this is the truth of the gospel. It's not meant for those who don't want it, because it's not for them. Right? It's for the elect of God. And whenever God opens their ears and eyes, they will love it. It becomes their sustenance. It becomes the comfort for them. That God is controlling all things. And that they don't have to work for anything. They don't have to do anything. They don't have to keep up religious appearances. They don't have to keep up all this uh, 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 activity, this law-keeping to be saved or to stay saved. That it's all done for them by Christ. This that becomes their food, but to the religious person, just like in Jesus' days, that becomes a hated doctrine because it takes away their power. See, if that was what I cared about, if I cared about 
you and controlling you and wanting you to do what I say so that so that justifies and verifies my ministry, then I'm going to preach to you law. I'm going to hound you every every Sunday from this pulpit beating on it, telling you how bad of a person you are and you need to be doing this and need, need to be doing that and get out here and get out there and you know, if you be just like me, if you be like me, if you do like I do, no, we don't do that. What do we do? We abase ourselves. The people of God have learned to abase themselves. Well, the Lord abases us by, by His Spirit. But we do just like this man does. We come in humility. Lord, we're not worthy for you to even come into our house. The sinner who came next to the Pharisee, have mercy upon me, a sinner. The grace of God, the sovereignty of God, the the uh, uh, sovereign grace of God, it abases man and it abases the elect of God to the point where they realize that we are unworthy. And in that unworthiness, that being brought down low, that being humiliated into the dust, the greatest show of faith is made. It's whenever we are brought to the lowest point in, in humility that we reach out in the greatest displays of faith. And again, that's not something that we work up or do. That's how God works it in us. He brings us low that He may exalt Himself in the faith of His elect. That He has given unto us. I don't listen, when things are going good for me, I don't go to the Lord as often as I do when things are not going so well for me. So we trust in the Lord. This man had been brought to a place where he knew his unworthiness, but he knew that man right there, he has all authority and all power, and I'm not even worthy to come and ask him what I'm about to ask him. But I know that if it's to be done, only he can do it. And so he called out for help. But see, we have preachers and churches today, brethren, that they think they can, by the whipping it up, they can get everybody out there with their, again, with their self-help scriptures. We can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. They take that verse out of its context. We can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. What's that all about? That's about being under persecution. Not about you going out and lifting weights at the gym. Not about you overcoming some obstacle at your job that, you know, some guy that was out there going to get your position and you overcame and got it, whatever it is. No, what is this all about? This is about abasing us and exalting the Lord Jesus Christ. And this man here, who even though the Lord looked at him and said, I haven't seen any great faith in all of Israel, this wasn't God saying, patting this guy on the back and lifting this guy up and say, everybody, look at this guy. You need to be, this is your example and you need to be more like this guy. Jesus didn't say you need to be more like this guy at all. He just, what did he say? And listen, this is where, again, men press something into, into this that is not there. Jesus said, I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. He didn't say, look at this man's awesome great faith. That's not what he said. He said, I have not seen this great of faith. He's just saying, I have not seen this level of trust and belief on me in all of Israel. He wasn't saying how great of faith this man had mustered up and done. No, he said, this show of faith, this trust in who I am, I haven't seen it in Israel. 
He was condemning Israel. He wasn't pumping this man up to something that he had done on his own. He was saying, listen, my people... And isn't that what the Bible has clearly told us? That he would be despised and rejected of men, that his own people would not even come to him, that his own people would reject him? That's exactly what we're saying here. That he was rejected of his own, but here this Gentile who the Lord gave faith to came and believed upon the Lord, believed upon His power, believed upon His authority, believed that He could just speak the word and it would be done. And the Lord said, listen, I've not seen this great of faith. And, and He wasn't saying, I have not seen this great of faith. He was saying, I have not seen this great of faith in all of Israel. He was condemning the religious people of the day. He was condemning those who were the reprobates among the national people of Israel. He says, I say unto you that many shall come from the east and the west and shall sit down with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. Again, that probably just caused the skin to crawl on all those religious leaders. These people are coming from the east, from the west. That means Gentiles, brethren. (laughs) He's talking about Gentiles. That Gentiles are going to come from all over the world and they're going to sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And they thought, this is our place. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob's table is our table. This is where we're sitting down. And Jesus boldly tells them, but the children of the kingdom, you Jews, you're going to be cast into outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing teeth. What a harsh word to the religionist. Whenever they stand before the Lord and they say, Lord, Lord, did we not in your name cast out demons and devils? Do many works of miracles in your name? Did we not keep the Ten Commandments in your name? Did we not follow the law in your name? Did we not abstain from this? And did we not partake of this? And did we not... Every time the doors were open at church, we were there. Every time there was a revival, we went there. When we went on vacation, we didn't even take a day off from church. We went to church wherever we could find one. We never missed church because you told us not to miss if you forsake the assembling of yourselves together. So we go no matter what, no matter where. Even if it doesn't believe like we do, we're going to go so we can keep your commandments. And the Bible says, the Lord will look and say, Depart from me, workers of iniquity, for I never knew you. What? Workers of iniquity? Lord, surely you misunderstood. They cast out demons in your name. In your name. They... They healed people in your name. They did all these wonderful works in your name. They did it all for you, Jesus. And Jesus is going to say, depart from me, you work. Those were works of iniquity. You know, that couples along whenever he said all of your righteousnesses are filthy rags. Your work, your works for me are considered works of iniquity. Why is that? Because there's only one thing that God 
accepts, and that's the works of Jesus. He doesn't ever accept any works of you on His behalf. He only accepts the works of Jesus. The works of the proxy is all He accepts. The works of your substitute is all He accepts on your behalf. All these people got up and talked about what they did for Jesus. In Jesus' name. And look, out here, all these guys, all, all these weirdos on TV and on the radio, talking about all the things, you know, we're out here and we're, uh, uh, we're controlling all these demons with His name, you know. I call on you the demon of this and the demon of that and the demon and the spirit of this and the spirit of that. In Jesus' name, you know, Kenneth Copeland, he just can wrangle any kind of demon or any kind of spirit just by using the name Jesus. And he thinks that he can control all these things, brother. Listen, I tell you what, sometimes I would, I, I would, <laughs> this is probably the flesh in me, I would love like, was it the seven sons of Sceva? I would love publicly to see him try to do that one day and just one of those demons just come out and flog him to death, strip him of his clothes and send him out running. It, it would just be, I would love to see that open display of God bringing these men to their knees. Now one of these days it's going to happen, but, uh, but all this nonsense that goes on, I don't even know how to go off of But anyway... <laughs> The fact that Jesus told these religious people that these Gentiles, who by the way the, the Bible says were never under the law, are going to sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And these Jews, who now have died to the law and have come to Christ alone as their salvation, they're going to sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Not around the Talmud. Not around the Cabal. Not around even the books of Moses. They're going to come and they're going to come around like we just sang and sing, Worthy is the Lamb. Worthy is the Lamb. Worthy is the Lamb that was slain. All praise to the Lamb. All praise to the Lamb. All praise to the Lamb that was slain. <coughs> now, the last thought that I have on this passage is in verse 13 because I think also this is a misunderstood and misapplied verse. It says, And Jesus said unto the centurion, Go thy way, and as thou hast believed, so be it done unto thee. And I've heard this preached, and I probably may have even preached it like this at one time. I don't recall ever preaching it, but I may have. Many people say, see there, if you'll just believe, Jesus will get into action if you do, if you believe. Your faith causes him to move. How often do you see that preached and talked on TV and radio, all on Facebook and all kinds of stuff? That God moves when our faith is great. You know, God does all this stuff because of our faith. And our faith can move mountains. By the way, you know that that Jesus saying that didn't have anything to do with us moving mountains with our faith. Uh, 
Go thy way, and as thou hast believed, so be it done unto thee. Jesus isn't saying, because you believe so greatly, I'm going to do what you asked me to do. That's not what Jesus said. That's not what this says. That is reading into that, that, that thinking. That's not what Jesus said. What is Jesus saying? As thou hast believed, how has this man believed? That Jesus didn't have to go there. He could just speak it. That Jesus had the authority to do whatever He wanted to do. And if Jesus wanted to heal this man, He didn't have to go on location and place hands upon Him so that some sort of a miraculous energizing power would come out of His hands and into the man, healing the man. He just would say it. Why? Because all of creation, every molecule, every atom, every little tiny speck of whatever that makes up the the creation is under his control. Whatever was causing this man's palsy immediately would flee as soon as Jesus said, be gone. This man believed that he had the authority to do it and that he could do it without coming and Jesus said, you say that I don't need to come? Alright, well go your way and it will be done as you believed it to be done. In the order, in the way that you said it would be done. Not because you believe, but the way you believed it to be done. I will do it this way. Instead of coming and touching them, or instead of coming personally, I'll just say it and there you go. It will be done. As soon as you get home, you're going to see a guy that's not got palsy. That's what Jesus was meaning here. Not because of your great faith that was so marvelous that it made me, as the word here says, marvel. By the way, I did look up that word marvel there because I really don't think that God marvels at what we do because everything that we do is given by God, is controlled by God. So it isn't that God is just astonished and amazed. Can you believe that faith? I looked at that word marvel and it does mean admired. The word means admired. There's other places in the King James Bible where that Greek word behind marvel is translated as admired. And again, it's not, and the context that's used is not in an admiration because of something that is just so amazing and inherent in the person, but he admired what this man was displaying in the fact that this is a work of God on display as a Gentile to all these Jews. He admired this man's great faith. He looked on. He He didn't jump in there and just knew exactly what the guy was going to do. Listen, he let the guy go through all the motions of everything that happened right there in front of everybody he'd been talking to, in front of the people that he had um, uh, uh, been doing miracles among all the time. He allowed this to play out, and he admired or, or watched on of this man's faith. Why? So that it might be a display. As I've said, then, that's kind of the angle that the Lord brought me to in looking at this whenever I was reading through it. Is, is the angle of this is to show that this goes against everything that the religious order holds to. And brethren, is that not how we are as sovereign grace believers? We go against every every religious thing that's out there. We go against you know religious liturgy. liturgy. We go against uh, 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 the law keepers and all that kind of stuff. We go against uh, uh, people that believe in free will. We go against all this stuff that is found in modern day religion. And any faith that we might have, we can't boast about it. 
this man couldn't boast about it, and the Lord isn't boasting in something that man did. He's boasting in something the Lord did in the man. And he put it on display for all to see. And as that man believed, so it was done, not because he believed, but as he believed. And as thou hast believed, not because, there is no because there. Go thy way, and as thou hast believed, so be it done unto thee. The Bible says, and his servant was healed in the self-same hour. Brethren, that's all I have to say. I just kind of wanted to bring out the fact of looking at this at a different angle than most times we hear and exalt the Lord Jesus Christ. Not this man's faith. This passage is about this man's faith. It's about the authority and the, and the ability of God Almighty to do whatever he wants to do. And not only giving this man faith, but he can heal somebody without going there. He can change a life. He can do whatever, you know, uh, give men legs to stand and eyes to see and you know he didn't have to wipe mud on people he didn't have to make them go into water and dip several times he didn't have to do any of that stuff all he got to do was just say it but he does a lot of these things for our benefit for us to see and to understand and to learn from a lot of those things were symbolic things that he was showing uh, and, and the things that he was doing but brethren the fact remains when you boil all of this down because he is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He is the sovereign over all things. And he himself has the power to give faith, to not give faith. He has the power to give life or to keep from giving life. He has the power to heal or to remain, even to plague. He's the one that sends the plagues. He's the one that sends the palsy. He's the one that sends the heart attacks. He's the one that sends the cancers. I know people don't like to think of that, don't like to do that, but nothing happens apart from the Lord. Job did not get boils all over his body because the devil gave it to him. God did that. Job didn't lose all of his wealth and all of his family and everything that he had. He didn't lose that because the devil did it. God sent the devil to do that, but again, it was God did that. And even Job said it. He said, the Lord has done this. The Lord has given and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And the Bible says that in all that, Job did not sin. And it wasn't that Job didn't sin in reacting to it. It was Job did not sin in what he said. Job accredited God for doing all of that that he sent Satan to do. Job gave the credit to God God is the one who did this, not Satan, because Satan only does what God tells him to do. The reason God put in there and Job didn't sin, it was he didn't sin in accusing God, because God was at the very... And again, it goes back, how many people accuse us of making God be the author of sin, but are we? do we sin whenever we say that God has done that? No, we don't sin when we do that. Why? Because we know that God is in control of all things. Alright, anybody got, got anything to add or anything you want like to say? Well, Second Timothy two nineteen, I love that passage. Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal, the Lord knoweth them that are his. Yes. 
our children. You know, that, you know, we can be resigned to the fact that God's in control. We're over everything. Either God is sovereign or he's not, not God. I mean, There's a hymn I like to sing, if you're good. It kind of goes along with what you're saying here. It's 477. Similar to the other one you sang out of the blue book. 